Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. As a church, we've been uh, taking a little season away from the book of Judges, uh, where we're working through a, a series right now titled, Trust Me, I Know I'm Right. And the whole purpose of that is, if, if you look at our heading, the words are spelt wrong on purpose, because what we're looking at as a church is what happens when uh, the people of God decide that they know what's best and what's right, and we see how that leads to us going rogue. And so we're actually, uh, we've been taking a break from that to look at rest, and we're going to start back in Judges next week, and we're going to be in Judges chapter 9. We're saying this because we love for you guys to read ahead and just become familiar with it. it it's a big, lengthy chapter, and so if you can read it ahead of time, that would be great. So we're going to be back in that next week. We're, we're doing a one-off today in the book of Hebrews. And so if, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, I remember when I started following Jesus at 23 and people were spouting out Bible verses and where stuff was at in the Bible, I realized I didn't know my way around it very well. And so I know that uncomfortable feeling. So if you're here today and you're not familiar, open your Bible and turn toward almost the end and you'll get to a, a pretty big book called the book of Hebrews. And so we're going to be in that today. Hebrews chapter 10. We're actually going to be doing a one-off today on uh, a big word. It's called ecclesiology, okay? Uh, so ecclesiology, I'm going to feed the nerds in the room first for just a few minutes. You guys can have your nerd nuggets, and then we'll, we'll, we'll speak to everyone else. So ecclesiology is the study of the church. That's what the word means. And first, if, if you look at the study of the church, what we're looking at is what is the church in its nature and its identity. And so there's, there's a couple other big words here. There's, there's this word that's called uh, ontology, and, and, and there's the ontological trinity. Big words, right? What does that mean? Uh, uh, the ontological argument or ontology means this, the study of being, okay? So you guys can force these big words and sentences if you want to make people think you're smart and just throw them in from time to time, but they really have simple meanings. Ontology means the study of being. Ecclesiology means the study of church. And so what we're looking at is what is the church? What is the church's being? What is the church's purpose? What are these things? So here, let's, let's simplify it. The church's ontology, the church's being is this, is that it is the family of God and it is the bride of Christ. The church isn't first something that does something. It's not something that we do. It's not a building we meet at. It's a group of people called the bride of Christ or the family of God. That's who the church is. Now, the church functions out of that identity and it does things in the world as it relates to God and creation, but that's at the core who the church is. It is a group of people called the family of God and it's the bride of Christ. And so that's what we're gonna start at today as we look at ecclesiology. The reason why we're doing this People are like, why are we doing this? It's because we've identified some areas where our church can, can grow in. And one of those is, what is the church? What's the purpose of the church? We live in the Pacific Northwest, and I would say we have a very low view of the church. And so we're going to look at this. We're going to do these one-offs once a month for the next couple months to just build our doctrine and our study of ecclesiology. So uh, this morning, our main point is this. It's not going to be a popular one. It's not going to sound fun. Just giving you guys the preface. Let's daily die together, Okay goes with that is this. Let's get uncomfortable. Okay? Let's daily die together. Let's get uncomfortable. And we're going to be looking at this. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 actually through 25. Mistake on the email on my part. 19 through 25. That's where we're going to be at understanding this. Let's daily die together. Let's get uncomfortable together. Not things that are popular, not things that we're naturally good at doing. So that's where we're going to be at today. If you would turn to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 through 25, I'll read it. Let's understand this. The book of Hebrews is a meaty book. 
It's robust in its theology. And what I mean is the first 10 chapters, basically up until this point where in verse 19, he says, therefore, it's all explaining truth. These big statements of who Jesus is and, and how we are saved through him and through him alone. Many are still debating who's the author of this letter. Up until the 16th century, most scholars believe that it was the Apostle Paul. In fact, the King James 1611 version titled it Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Uh, Martin Luther thinks that it could have been Paul, it could have been Apollos. Regardless of this, here's what we know about Hebrews. It's, it's, it's robust in its theology, and it functions as, in, in some ways, as a commentary to the Old Testament. So if you're trying to even understand what the Old Testament is about and the ceremonial laws, Hebrews really helps with that, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible. So with that, turn there. I'm going to read, and then we'll pray. It says this, from the author, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, I first want to recognize this. The simple truths about you that we daily forget that you're good. And that anything that has come our way in life for those that are your children has only come to us by way of your good hands. God, I, I know this, that there's people in this room right now that are hurting and struggling to believe that. That you are good and that you are faithful. And so I'm praying first that you would help them to remember that, to know that, to believe that. We're praying that you would show us the beauty of the gospel. Jesus, we're praying that you would remind our hearts that our confidence is not in ourselves. It's in your blood. It is in you. I pray that we know this morning that we have a sympathetic high priest, not one who's disconnected and far off, but one who's near to our very problems and everything that's going on in our lives. Jesus, you've, you were stricken. You were smitten. You lost loved ones. You grieved. You know pain. You know hurt. You know suffering but you've also provided a way for us to be confident in our right standing with God through everything that you've done, finished, and provided. Let that bring good news to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to do something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to select five people and have you guys come up here for just a minute, okay? At random. Now, let's be honest. How many, <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you guys just got either sweaty palms, sweaty armpits, a drop in your stomach, something like that? Probably, probably a lot of people, there was a sense of panic, and a lot of you broke eye contact with me. So, <laughs> so I, whether you want to admit it or not, that's the reality. 
But here's what I would say. The, the reason why that is, is because to do that would cause us to be really uncomfortable and it made us feel, it would make us feel very awkward, right? And here's the truth. We do not like feeling uncomfortable. And so we have a flight or fight against feeling uncomfortable and, and awkward. And so we flee from it, we, we run from it. So we spend our lives avoiding anything that could possibly make us uncomfortable or feel awkward. In fact, I can think of some of the most embarrassing moments in my life and the statements that have followed. They're so vivid in my mind. I remember the first one was in Sam Goody's. I don't know if you guys remember that store where you go and you buy your CDs. It's a thing of the past. I loved it. But I remember standing in the line at Sam Goody's and, and there was a woman next to me in line or right in front of me and I sneezed. Sorry if this is too much information. And a snot rocket blew right out of my nose. I mean, it, it was a good one. And right on her arm right on her arm. And so what did I do? I went like this and I just wiped it off and I didn't say anything. I just wiped it off like nothing happened. In that moment, if I could have run through a wall, if I could have crawled in a hole, I just remember I just wanted to die. Like I just wanted out of there. The second time is this, our gospel community was out um, and I was sitting on a stool and at a table with people and, and our friends were there. In fact, Renee was there as well. Uh, this story involves her. And I went to like shift or do something and my stool gave way and I was falling into her, but like, like into like her arms or something. And like, I didn't know what to do with my hands cause I didn't want to brace myself. So I put them back and I just like fell into her. Like that would be less awkward. Here was my statement immediately after I said, man, I hate myself so much right now. <laughs> and I just wanted to crawl in a hole and die, why? because all of those things made me feel awkward and uncomfortable, and I do whatever I can to avoid any type of thing that does that to me. That's how I want to live my life. And the sad reality, that's how the church functions and wants to live our lives. We, we wanna do stuff that doesn't make us feel uncomfortable and doesn't make us awkward. The problem is, just like stretching, you don't get more flexible, you don't grow without a certain level of pain and discomfort that God calls us to, and he calls us to be faithful in this. That's what we're gonna look at this morning. So just to be clear, I'm not gonna have anyone come up here. That's not something that we will most likely ever do. So if you're here just checking us out this morning, know that that's not going to, to, to come your way. I do wanna break down the text for you to give you some structure of where we're going. So look at it for me real quick, 19 through 25. The, the first point is this, and we're gonna look at this in verses 19 through 23, that we first died to our or first we died to saving ourselves. So first, the, the, the first point we're gonna look at, 19 through 23, is that we need to die to saving ourselves. Here's the sub point. The gospel makes us uncomfortable, okay? The next point, as we look at verse 24 and 25, is that we need to die to ourselves and die to our comforts. And the third point, as we look at 25 as well, is that we're going to live and live for Christ and live for others. See, the Bible does talk a lot about dying, and it actually talks about doing this on a daily basis. In fact, there's two verses that we have that show this. The first one is 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it's 31. And this is actually Paul speaking, and he's speaking to the church in Corinth. Look at what Paul says. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. This is the Apostle Paul saying this is something that he's learned to do every day, that, that he's starting to die to himself, die to his wants, die to his own life of living comfortably. And then he's getting this from someplace. He's getting it from Jesus who says this in Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, look at this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. And follow me. 
So these, th- 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 this isn't a cute thing. Jesus is like, hey, whoever wants to follow me, it, 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 here's what it looks like. It's dying to ourselves, in, in a sense, every day. That's what it's going to look like. It's going to look uncomfortable. It's going to look awkward. We as Westerners don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like to be awkward. And so what I'm saying today is what we need to learn to do is die. Die to ourselves. And I think from doing that, what, what, what Paul is, is, is pushing is that through that, there's actually life. So let's look. Verse 19. Therefore, we understand this, that when the conjunction therefore is there, it's there for a reason, right? And so everything that he's just unpacked about who Jesus is and and what it is to have salvation through him alone, he's saying, therefore, brothers, therefore, family members, therefore, church, okay? Since we have confidence, look at the word confidence, to enter the holy places by, here's what I want you to do. It's going to be a little bit interactive today, okay? I want you to either grab your phone or a piece of paper and and do something for me. I'm going to give you a minute to do it, okay? If, if, you're too, if you're too cool to do it, that's fine too. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Write down two to three things that you did that, 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 that would be classified as bad things over this last week. Okay. So you can either think about your relationship with God, with others, whatever that is. But um, let's start with good things first. Let's do that. Let's be positive for a second. Okay. So Think of the good things first. So write down two or three good things. Um, I did my devotionals this week. I helped a widow, uh, helped an orphan, something like that. Write two or three good things down that maybe you did throughout this week. You're not turning these in. (laughs) This is an assignment to pass forward. You can keep it to yourself on your phone, but just write these down. Two or three things that, that, that you're like, yeah, I feel like these were good things. Prayer life was good, was in the word this week. Whatever it is, write two or three things down. Then what I want you to do is write down two or three things on the other side of that. Bad things. Or whatever it might be. Struggled with lust this week. Completely lost my patience. Big argument with my wife. What, what, whatever it is, write that down. You guys are writing your good stuff down in like 64 font. Then you get to the bad. It's like covering. Okay. No one needs to see this besides you or the Lord. You can be honest on your paper. The reason why we're doing this, this is fundamentally important for you to understand what Christianity is and what the message is that we stand on and stand behind that we preach every week. This is what separates us from every other religion. This is what separates us from Jehovah's Witness. This is what separates us from Mormonism. This is what separates us. Look here. Keep your list. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the most holy places, that's the presence of God. The holy presence of God is what we have confidence to enter for those that are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, family, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. And if you are not able to enter the holy place, it's because you do not have a relationship with Jesus. And it's not like God is treating you like a vampire is to garlic. It's because God is so holy that his goodness and his holiness and his perfection would consume you. So what he's saying here, the author, since we have confidence to run into the presence of God, I mean, to just go in with, with, with this confidence, look here, you guys can underline, uh, underline this if you want. He says, by, that's a preposition. Okay. Prepositions act, uh, they act as a bridge, okay? So we have confidence to enter a place by, and, and he's going to tell us how. That's what the by does. It is a bridge, okay? Now, 
We have confidence to enter the most holy place. In other words, we have confidence to go to God and be accepted by him and before him. By, by how? The things that you wrote down on your list. The good things? Or the other way, we don't have access to go to God because of the bad things that we wrote down on our list. If you think that your access to God's holy presence and acceptance and love is by anything that you have on your list, that is not the message of Christianity. It is not. Plain and simple, that is not it. Our confidence to enter God's holy presence is by the preposition, the bridge, the blood of Jesus alone. God's love does not rise with your good deeds and it does not fall with your bad deeds. If you have any level of confidence in anything in that list for your acceptance to go to God, to be loved by him, it's not the gospel. It's actually your works presenting to God for him to accept you. And that's what much of the world thinks, that I'll get to present my deeds to God and that's the basis that he accepts me. The text is so clear. It is by the blood of Jesus. That's the only way. The way that we get to go into God's holy presence is by the blood of Jesus. Do you know why that's hard for us to hear? Because we like to look to our list. We like to point to our list. We like to say, look at what I've done. Look at the good things that I've done. In fact, I I, I came up with five good things and my bad list was only one. Like we like to look at our list. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors of all time and theologian, had this pivotal moment in his life when he was 15 years old and he stepped into a Methodist church where the preacher preached from Isaiah 45, 22, which the verse says, look unto me, all of the world and be saved for I'm the Lord, your God, and there is none else. What shook him was this. It doesn't say work. It doesn't say anything else other than look. Look to God, look to Jesus and be saved. And he was like, anyone can look. We can look to him. The problem is, is we like to look to that list for our confidence. We like to look to the things that we do for our confidence. In fact, when when Jesus was with his disciples in John chapter six, this conversation is taking place. They ask him, they're like, Jesus, what works was, must, must be, uh, what works should we do in order to be, do the work of God? And he said, Here's the work of God. This is what he says. Read this. It's John 6, 28 and 29. He says, this is the work of God that you believe in the son. Later on, he says in John 6, 41, he says, this is the will of the father that you look to the son and believe in him. The message of Christianity is looking and it's confidence, but it's never looking and pointing at ourselves or anything that we do or don't do. It is only looking to Jesus and every good deed and every perfect deed that he did for us. That's it. Are you guys with me? We're not a vocal church, so maybe like some some nonverbal communication. We can train that like a smile, this, this, this. You guys got that? It was a test, and most of you failed that one, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep cruising. But that's, that's it. If you leave here today and, and understand nothing else, we need you to know and understand that the confidence that you can have to stand before a holy God and enter his presence has nothing to do with your good deeds and bad deeds. It has everything to do with the blood of Jesus and your faith in that alone. You got to hear that. Here's, here's, here, here's what that does. It causes us to die. 
and, and, and it causes us to die to the reality that we can't save ourselves, which we hate. That makes us uncomfortable. The gospel makes us uncomfortable because now we have to look to someone else and say, you're the only basis that I can be right with God. It's like, yeah, that's it. We don't like that. We have to die to the list. We have to die to our things that we think we can present to God and say, it's Jesus. It's him alone. That's the message that the church stands on. That's what we preach. That's what we present. That's what we live in and out of is by. Look at verse 20. by the new and living way that he opened for us. Another preposition, through, here's the bridge, the curtain, that is through, again, his flesh. So we have confidence in our God's holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Again, he's just reiterating, the way that you can run into the presence of God is not through your works. It's not through your actions. It's through this. It's through the perfect actions that Jesus put forth on the cross on behalf of us. The way that we can enter in is through Jesus alone. It is always and forever will be through Jesus. The curtain is symbolizing something in the Old Testament, which says this. The curtain separated people from getting to go into the most holy place. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. And what he was saying is, nah, now you get to go. But it's not through anything that you'll ever do. It's through everything that I've just done and finished on the cross. He was where we should have been, absorbing the wrath that we should have deserved for our rebellion against God. But he's saying like, now you're loved. Now you're accepted through everything that I have done. Okay? Let's keep reading. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let's pause there. Some of you, if you hear nothing else today, you, 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 you need to hear this. That we have a great high priest, and the author of Hebrews says we have a sympathetic high priest. What does that mean? It means this, that our God, the God of Christianity, doesn't stay far removed in a transcendent sort of way, just far above. He became imminent. He became among us. In fact, the shortest verse in the Bible is that Jesus wept. He knows what it is to lose loved ones. He knows what it is to have that just gut-wrenching pain inside of your stomach. He knows what betrayal is. He knows what bitterness is. He knows what hurt is. He knows what frustrations are. He knows what limitations are because he came and lived and dwelt among us. Our God is not this disconnected being. He's, he was close and he is close. He's near and he sympathizes with our pains that we go through in this life. As I shared last week, just went through a horrific season of, of, of being bitter toward God and a lot of bitterness and a lot of anger toward God. The one comfort again that I had is that Christ knows what it is to go through dark seasons of life. In fact, the darkest season of his life and the darkest moment of human history is an innocent man dying on the cross in the place that I know that I should have been. But my comfort in that is that he knows dark pain but he's provided a way for us through faith in him to never have to be separated from God alone or go through any trial or valley or season in this life without his presence with us, comforting us, guiding us, and leading us. 21, and since we have this great high priest, Jesus, over the house of God, that's us, the family, the people, that's our ecclesiology. Let us, verse 22, draw near with the true heart, another preposition, in, in full assurance. So how, how confident should be, we be running into the presence of God? 
Should we be sort of confident? Should, should, should we have partial assurance? No. The text says we can run into the presence of God through everything that Jesus did with full confidence, not our list, his, with full assurance. Absolute, 100% full assurance. In the same way, for the most part, my kids can come barging into my room whenever they want and know that dad is going to love them so we can go barging into the presence of God with boldness, knowing that we're loved by him. Whatever we've done, wherever we're at for those in Christ. It says with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let me summarize what the author is saying here is that in the Old Testament, they did a lot of ceremonial cleansing. And they had, a, they, they had a priest, and the priest would go to the temple, and he would make sacrifices. He would ask for forgiveness for the Israelites, and he would make atonement for them. Now Jesus is our great high priest who's done all that once and for all. So what he's saying now is this is what Jesus does. Because at first he's talking about hearts. And then he's talking, we've been washed clean with water. What he's, uh, with water, what he's saying is this, is all of you, every bit of you, inside and out, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, is wholly, completely clean before God. And that is how God will see you. Completely clean, pure before him. That's what he says. If you look here, we can draw to his presence with full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what he's saying. That every part of you, not, not tethered or connected to the list of things you wrote down, but tethered and connected to the confidence that we have in Jesus and everything that he's done is completely clean before God. Regardless of what you feel or think, when you are a child of God, the way that God sees you is completely washed, pure, and clean. All right says this in 23, let us hold fast this confession. L let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So why? For he who promises faithful. Notice, even in this, we want to hold fast this confession of faith, of our confidence being in Christ and his blood because he is faithful. It doesn't say because you are faithful. Our confidence to be accepted before a holy God is always because God is faithful, not because we are. That's what he's saying. He who promised is faithful. My confidence is not in my love for God. It's in God's love for me. My love for God is fickle. God's love for me is not. He is faithful. That's what he's saying. Let the church, let the body of Christ, let us hold to this confession of Christ and never waver from that. Because when you waver from that, then you have an anti-gospel, something that is all about you and what you can do. Let us hold fast. All right, everyone at this point, we can say, I think... I like that. Maybe I don't love that, but I like that. That's, that. that's good. That sounds like good news. I think it's great news. I think it's great news for the Christian in the room, for the non-Christian in the room, because it's all the same message that we all need. Now, I'm going to say this. You probably won't like, collectively, the next part of this, right? So we love that. That's the message. Now, what's the mission? How does the church respond to such great news? What is our role? What do we do? I think this is where it gets a little bit difficult for us. Look here, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So remember, he's talking to the church. This is it. But now what he's saying, and, and I'm telling you, 
This is going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenge to hear this. He says this in Hebrews 3, 12. He says, hey, every day we should be exhorting one another, challenging, encouraging one another. Our culture doesn't like that. Here's what he's saying. Let us consider, ponder, think how to stir up my brothers and sisters to love and good works. I've talked to countless people that are like, yeah, I just can't find my purpose in life. Even Christians, I don't know what I'm doing. Is it possible that God's purpose for you in life is to find your satisfaction in this message of the blood of Christ, your confidence there, and then to function in this way? In other words, to start dying to yourself, to start dying to the everything that you want. This is what, this is how church is supposed to function. When you show up on Sunday morning, it's, hey, and here's where I got to be honest. This is not a concert. It's the church. I asked people this last week. I said, uh, which is a bit of an awkward thing to do, but I said, stand up if you've gone through something difficult in the past year. You know that 90% of the room stood up and said they're in a storm in their life. So here's the question. Who is caring for the hurting people? Who is thinking about them? Who's pondering them? And oftentimes we just show up to church to be a consumer. We're not consumers, we're Christians, and Christians have a role and responsibility. I'm not saying that church attendance saves you, never. But I'm saying that it might show a reflection whether you, under not, uh, whether you understand or not how much you've been saved from and what you've been saved to. Because I think many times we view the church as a concert. We just show up whenever we want. We receive whatever I want. It's all about me. And at the core of that, whether you want to admit it or not, it's selfish and it's selfishness. And the core of all sin is actually selfishness. It's what's in this for me? I, I can't tell you, and our, our gospel community leaders could probably tell you this too. I can't tell you the countless times that I've heard people say this. Yeah, I went to the whole group thing. I tried it. I just, I didn't get much out of it. It's a wrong statement. Or even the wrong question. What are you giving to it? And, and, and you can't give something to it. You can't think and ponder. Here, here's, here's a very practical. Even showing up on a Sunday, you could start praying, God, where do you want me to sit today? You and your family could start praying, God, help us to think um, who we can stir up, who we can encourage today, who, who we can reach out to. I'm sure there's broken people there. Help us to see these people. Give us eyes to see the brokenness that's there. Help us to pray through this, think through this. What is this calling? It's calling for a sense of action. That's what the author's doing. He's like, you can't just be lazy. <laughs> I've also heard people say, well, I'm an introvert. So am I. I'm an introvert. I've, I've also heard people say, and they're honest, it just makes me uncomfortable. And, and here's, here's, here's why I say we have to die to ourselves. What that statement says is this. I love my comfort more than I love other people. That's what it says. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to feel awkward. I love that more than I love other people. So I'm going to stay at home. What the author is saying here is quite simple. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Out of this beautiful message of all that Christ has done, out of the love that we have, let us consider something, how to stir up one another, to love and to good works. Here's what I'll also say. Well, we'll, we'll keep cruising. It says this, 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Okay. Does God care about our well-being? Yes. So if his word says, don't neglect doing this, as is the habit of some, do we take him at his word that he actually knows what's best for us? I'm going to be, again, even more honest, which is going to be even harder to hear. But I also know that the people that haven't taken 
this, the, this understanding of ecclesiology and what the church is and how the ch- church should function and this death to self, they haven't taken seriously. Even our friends that shared during the Christmas uh, service last year, the people that have this like low view of church and, and, and what the church is and what the church does, I've seen it time and time and time and time again that what happens is it leads to some form of egregious sin because here's why. You start to feed by, by, by neglecting the meeting together something in you. Everyone in this room, listen, you're feeding something. And you guys might be like, Rick, aren't you preaching the choir? We're all at church. I get that. <clears throat> but we're, we're, we're all feeding something. And we're either feeding our selfish, self-centered desires or we're feeding, putting ourselves to death to live and serve other people. But when you feed that selfish self-centeredness, then what you start to do is get uh, uh, just calloused and numb. And then that continues to grow and spiral. And then before too long, it becomes easier and easier and easier to do other things because you've fed selfishness. And and here's what the sin is. It's I'm going to do what I want, what makes me feel good. That's not God's message. That's the enemy's message. God's message is this. Don't neglect meeting together. That's the habit of some. That can't be the habit of us. We got this good news. We got to encourage people. We got to meet together. We got to consider up and ponder and think through how to, how to stir up one another. I've struggled, just honestly struggled with podcasting and live streaming. Our elders know this. I'm so thankful we've done it. And I've heard from so many in this room that, that, that literally benefited from it because of COVID. I'm thankful for that. Here's where I struggle with it. Is, is that going to be the normal trajectory of the church? I sure hope not. I, I hope we're going to come back together. I, I hope we're going to be together. I hope that people are coming in. Here's the thing. I need to be encouraged. This might sound weird. I, 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 would, I would argue, as Jesse said, you can obviously tell we're a little bit competitive, but I would argue that I'm the greatest sinner and the most broken human being, and I'm confident to say that that sits inside of this room right now. I, I really mean that. I'm not trying to boast in my sin or boast in my brokenness. I struggle to believe how God would ever love me and why in the world I would ever stand up here and preach the gospel, period. But I know this that he does that so he gets the glory to show that his grace is sufficient. But I'm saying that to say that I need you guys and we need each other to think through, to ponder, to encourage and not neglect this. Look at what he says this. So first, we have to die to saving ourselves. The gospel does that. Next, we need to die to ourselves and die to our comforts, okay? Here's a question you can ask yourself. We did a Q&A last week. And the question came up about marriage. Here, here's, here's, here's a daily prayer for you, single or married. Lord, how can I die today? That's a good prayer. Help me to die today. How can I die today in the sense of how can I die to myself? When you're in the midst of that argument, do you need to win the argument? Or can you die to that? When something's going on, are you, are you thinking about how I can die to my self-centered wants and everything about me and start living for other people? Look at verse 25, the second part. He says this, not neglecting to meet is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is he saying here? Encourage one another. That's what we need. The greatest defense we have against sin is the gospel, period. To understand how much Christ has done and how much he loves us, that's our greatest thing. Our second greatest armor or defense against sin is to actually encourage other people. Here's why. It moves you outside of yourself to focus not just on yourself, but on what other people need too. 
I'm going to steal what one of our pastors, Ronnie, has said, that when he's struggling with lust, one of the things he does is he starts serving his wife or texting other people. Because in that moment, it's no longer about everything that I want and I'm not getting. It's actually about how do I love and serve someone else besides just myself? I think that's what encouragement does when we start thinking about, here, here's, let's get super simple. Write letters, write notes, shoot texts, go up to people and be like, man, it's so good to see you here. To Mark, to Hunter, and to John and say, thanks for leading us in worship today. I think sometimes we just take everything for granted that people do and just say, thank you. Man, I, I guarantee you that there's times where they just need to hear that because they're here leading, but at the same spot also maybe in their lives broken. I mean, Hunter's dad, I'm, I'm sorry to throw this out, Hunter, wherever you are. Um, her, uh, her dad is battling with cancer and she's up here leading in worship. She needs encouragement. She needs the love of her family to walk alongside of her. We need that. 90% of people stood up last, last week. Who's caring for him? I promise I can't do it. This is how the church has got to function if we're going to function in a healthy, life-giving way. And here's the promise by God. Acts 20, 35. Blessed are it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is actually joy whenever we just pull back from just everything that we want. And there's actually joy and life offered whenever we start living for the king and for his kingdom. Sometimes we don't have purpose because we're living for the wrong king ourselves. We're living for the wrong kingdom, this world. Instead of saying, here is my purpose, I'm living for the king and for his kingdom. Which is going to mean dying to ourselves. Which is going to mean getting uncomfortable and getting awkward and doing stuff that makes us feel uncomfortable for the sake of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. He ends with this. It's that encourage one another because the day is drawing near. And what he's saying is actually something quite simple. Encourage one another because every day that we live on this earth, we're one day closer to Christ's return or to meeting him face to face. This is how we're called to live as a body of Christ. So let me give some real practical examples of how we can do this, okay? Let me, let me extend a challenge, okay? Here's a challenge. I challenge you and all of us who call this church their home and family to make it for the longest stretch you can of being here on a Sunday, of the discipline, of, of coming and saying, what is it, 90 minutes? Of the 90 minutes, I'm going to go and see how God can use me to serve and love other people consistently. Now, I get emergencies happen, things come up, it's fine. You have planned vacations, fine. But that's my challenge. That's one challenge. The other... The other thing is this, is when you come or attend your gospel community, pray to God how you can use the gifts he's given you to encourage the body. God is, gives his people spiritual gifts. Those are for the benefit of the body. Say, how, how can I show up even on a Sunday and say, God, you've given me these gifts. I, I want to use them to, to encourage the church. How do I do that? And last, I would say this, pray. Pray for people. Pray for people that are hurting Prayed for a gentleman this morning before service started. Just ask people as they share and as they open up if they're broken, just say, can I pray with you? Can I pray with you right now? Or how can I be praying for you? These are just some simple things that, that, that we can do. But let me go back and reiterate this. Your confidence now, and you need to hear this now, because I brought the room maybe from here to here, okay? <laughs> is this. Your confidence can never be in how well you love and serve the bride of Christ. Your confidence cannot be in how well you pray. Your confidence cannot be in how much you show up steady and consistently. Your confidence can only be in one place, 
through and in and by the blood of Jesus, and that gives you your right standing before God. God looks at you and sees you as clean. You're his child that he is crazy about. And I'll say this too. Whatever's going on in your life as a child of God, it has to come into your hands through his good hands and through his care and his love for you. That's not a trite thing that I'm just throwing out and saying, walk through horrific seasons of pain in my life. And the only comfort that I still have is that God's presence is with me. And my confidence is this, he's not punishing me because Christ was punished and his blood is the proof for that. So the only thing he could be doing is possibly as though it might be painful is caring for me. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that we have no confidence in and of ourselves. Help us to rest and trust with full assurance and full confidence by, in, and through the blood of Jesus. God, convict us. And if we're convicted now, let us praise you for that because that just means your spirit lives inside of us and that there's areas in our life that you're working on and through. God, we're, we're imperfect people looking to a perfect Savior. Let us not be ever afraid to admit that we're imperfect. But God, grow us. Grow us up. Grow us into maturity so that we can reflect to others and to the world who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.